This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Because the screen is flying, there's no wraps going on. I have the infantry up on ruins or face-to-face with the riptides. Um, and you know, I've the matchup is just, I think, very difficult for Gene Circle to play against. I agree. I want nothing to do with it. Good thing you're not coming to Nova. <laughs> you're welcome. Frontline Gaming presents... 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. This week, we bring you everything you never knew you needed to know about Nova. And then blokes from the Battle of Birmingham show us what it took to be the best in Britain. Finally, we take a date down under as we dive into EastCon. Uh, end of the week to you, Falcon. Uh, end of the week to you, Val. How's it been? Well, it's been one hell of a week, and uh, we've even made some time to talk about the events that took place last week. And <laughs> You're very right. It's uh, been quite the week. I had a bit of a stomach bug. My family kind of all went through it. I spent the night last night with my son uh, on a couch uh, while he uh, removed everything that was inside him and put it inside a bucket, but everything's <laughs> back to normal now. So, Well, I also, uh, had you been in good health, um, double-booked a fantasy draft for the NFL. Uh, so uh, I would have bailed on your The actual NFL anyway. or, a, or oh, I guess a, a fake one, the, the fantasy version? Well, you know, the... I am in the NFL's fantasy football team of fantasy football players. I see. I see. It is like this weird meta thing, uh, like a like a SART play. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, it's so existential. I don't know what to think. Yeah, I suppose we do have some stuff and things to discuss. Uh, Nova coverage with a lot of on the scene reporting from people who aren't me, because damn it, life caught up with me, and I didn't make it to Nova after all. You couldn't bring the tuna to bear. The reality was, uh, it was just it was a tournament too far. Unfortunately, in in the real life world of Val Heffelfinger, if such a thing exists. <laughs> well, you know, it is what it is. Uh, we got a few things we should probably tie up before we get right to the events. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listen to this, guys, you should probably check out the Chapter Tactics Patreon. Uh, we're both part of that group as well. They do really good stuff. Give them money. I believe uh, this month, Pablo will be giving away... He wants to give away some of the new Psychic Awakening things, depending on if they get uh, leaked out early. Um, or if uh, they are not available by the end of the month, he will give away one of the new Aeronautica Imperialis sets. Uh, so super cool things. If you become a Patreon, you get put into uh, a draw for that. And I just want to point out that uh, I was having an out-of-body experience yelling at my podcast listening uh, to the last episode of Chapter Tactics. The Aeronautica Imperialis miniatures are, in fact, scaled correctly to work with Adeptus Titanicus. I thought I would uh, nail that one shut for you. 
No, thanks. Uh, I was uh, really curious, and by that I mean I didn't think anything of it after the five seconds we talked about it on CT last week. By the way, really good episode. Yes. Um, if yeah. you want to hear people talk about numbers, which I get to do a little bit, uh, the meta, how Space Marines are going to shape it up. You get to hear Skari talk about um, why he's a really good Drukari player. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pablo makes a really good point using Pokemon, which what? I didn't expect. I Like, listen, he's tried so hard for a good, what, year and a half now to make a Pokemon fact dig in, and I think he finally did it. He did it. And uh, I may managed to make all of the Dark Angel players in the world uh, supremely angry at me, and I couldn't be happier. They're just all terrible people. Speaking of things you've been trying to do for a while, so that's, uh, that is a crowning achievement. Real proud of you here. Finally, of course, uh, our friends on the uh, Frontline Gaming Network, we were just talking about chapter tactics, but also the new Art of War. Uh, they rushed, they tripped over themselves to get out the uh, Richard Siegler uh, episode that they had already recorded before Nova, and you're going to find out, because of course you don't know what actually happens, that center hasn't happened yet, um, <laughs> but you're going to find out why they rushed so fast to get his interview out uh, this week. It is a clinic on how to play Tau in ITC format and others. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic content. Definitely check out Art of War on this very venerable Frontline Gaming Network. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, it was quite the episode. I already gave it a listen. Um, actually, all of their episodes so far have been pretty freaking stellar. The, the 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 actual caliber of players they've managed to get on uh, already, episode four in, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty outstanding stellar stuff. I'm not going to lie to you. I actually gave them five bucks. I did it. Oh really? Yeah, I wanted to hear the the second half so badly. So their their model worked at least for this episode and this month <laughs> uh, for one guy. So uh, I thought it was well worth it. Uh, and lastly, we we should probably plug Best Coast Pairings because without them, we can't do this job. Correct. Guys, if you don't already have a Best Coast Pairing subscription, you should probably get one because then you can see all the lists that we're about to talk about. Um, beautiful thing about 40kstats.com is that I only ever show the top fours from big events. That being said, there's always going to be three or four lists in there or even more that are absolutely incredible that you need to take a look at using uh, Best Coast Pairings itself. BCP brought functionality for doubles events this week. Pretty huge, which actually is huge. That's that's a lot of fun. That's a very common format, so I'm happy to hear it. Yeah, pretty stellar. Okay, so without further ado, why don't we put on our podcasting pants and our special hats? It's time to get this party started. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCP TO app to organize events. For just about any tabletop game system, download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features. Available for iOS and Android. BestCoastPairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. Ah, Nova. The Wargaming World's greatest tax write-off and the last chance for romance for every broken list combination your cruel, crooked hearts desire. As the last big stop before the fall FAQ, Nova represents the potential final turning point in the meta, as we competitive players know it, just before the long slog to next year's chapter approved in the LVO. In all seriousness, the Nova Open is one of the bastions of our community, and as of this year it raised over $210,000 for the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, 
Doctors Without Borders, and Fisher House on behalf of Wargamers Worldwide. With this year's event almost doubling in size, it will be exciting to see just how much larger that number is going to grow. We caught up with event organizer Mike Brandt for a full breakdown of what the Nova Open Charitable Foundation is all about and why they do the things they do, even though I hate them. So the Nova Open is a massive tabletop wargaming convention that's done entirely for charity. It started with a Warhammer 40,000 tournament that was held on picnic tables 11 years ago. And 10 years ago, we held the first official Nova Open, where we introduced to the community a wide variety of things it had never before seen, including live streaming 40K games, including a win-loss style format that had enough rounds to crown a true champion on generalship, and a variety of other things that made it pretty awesome, like wind path pairing. These days, it's become a large convention that has attendees from all over the tabletop gaming sphere, plus hobbying, with hundreds of seminars, hundreds of gaming tournaments, including the 40K GT itself, which is now over 300 attendees, but also the national championships for the United States for most of Fantasy Flight's X-Wing and other series of games, and a variety of other things to boot. The meta for Nova is interesting. We have people come from as far away as Russia, as far away as Australia, to play in it. And of course they come from all over the United States. I would say that most of the top 20 in ITC standings are there. And there's just a wide variety of very talented folks that come from all over. I do think that our missions are a little bit more broad spectrum than you'll find in things like the ITC or others. Not because those aren't awesome missions. ITC in particular are, and obviously are very similar to Nova's format. But just the variety of choices we give, the mission and scoring tension, the philosophy of cap missions, etc., creates an environment where a wider variety of lists, or we hope a wider variety of lists, are able to compete even if they don't you know, excel at what you would typically think are good in today's 40K. So we have people from all over the world, all walks of life, all talent, and a wide variety of lists. The question comes up often, why don't we use things like a player code of conduct? Why don't we require chess clocks on every single table? And why don't we require list submission? In terms of the player code of conduct, I just think it's important that we not treat 40K as something it's not and not put it up on a pedestal. Certainly not put the organizers up on a pedestal. I've been judging 40K tournaments for well over a decade and have solved a myriad of problems on tables ranging from people ready to come to fisticuffs to simply discussing or debating whether or not somebody cheated. And it's important to note that through all that time, I've never considered myself to be more important or more authoritative than anyone that I'm speaking with. I think the moment that we stop treating our fellow wargamers as simply fellow wargamers and start thinking of ourselves as professional judges or adjudicators, we've really lost ourselves and lost any right to talk about the hobby that we all share as a social wargaming hobby. Finally, why don't we require list submission? This one's actually simpler than you would think. And it's that in one year, early on in the Nova Open's history, we required everyone to submit their lists early. They did. And then 10 people showed up at the event with an entirely different army. And Amiya culpa that they didn't finish painting in time. Ultimately, even though those players attempted to circumnavigate the system by bringing, quote, the wrong army, the reality is they'd still spent thousands of dollars to show up and to travel from all over the country or perhaps the world to play. Going back to my response on player code of conduct, when all is said and done, the people I'm talking to are not lesser individuals who aren't playtesters and don't matter as much as I do as a proven judge. They're just fellow hobbyists who've brought one army and spent a lot of money in order to play. 
Since none of the armies were released publicly ahead of time, there's no particular advantage they gained by deciding they wanted to play something else. And if I had let them change, I would have unfairly penalized the other people. Now, I don't think it is any stretch to say that Nova was once again a success this year. With the aforementioned almost doubling in size and the great reviews coming from the attendees, it sounds like Mike and his team once again knocked it out of the park. Unfortunately, though, when tournaments get to this size, it is sometimes hard to avoid potential issues or misfortunate events. Um, for example, just prior to Nova opening its doors, it came out that they were ruling that the they came from below stratagem for gene stealer cults would not allow units to remain in reserves until after turn three, something that had been generally accepted as a thing uh, since the GSC FAQ clarified that units uh, that the units in question were considered to have started on the board. Now, while that did ruffle some feathers, for sure, uh, when the information uh, happened to come out that late in the game, the show did go on. A second issue related to the first sprung up on stream at the Open itself. For context, Nick Rose and Eric Trock were playing a game on stream, and the announcers indicated that Rose had placed a unit of aberrance in a reserve on turn one using the return to shadow stratagem, and then forgot to redeploy them the following turn. It looked really bad for Nick, as it gave Eric a pretty dominant board position he would not have had otherwise. However, on turn three, it was announced that the judge at the table would let Nick place the unit back on the board anyway at the cost of one extra CP. The strange ruling, along with some other odd interactions at the table, caused a lot of confusion and outrage amongst the members of the community that happened to be watching. We asked Mike if he could lay out what exactly happened so we can put this whole thing to rest, and he willingly obliged. So, Nick Rose knew we'd made a weird call of some kind about Gene Steeler cult stratagems before Nova because we ruled that you couldn't come in after turn three with one of the strats. So, he quickly asked the judge a question that the judge didn't quite understand and answered incorrectly. But instead of spending three CP to put three units in reserves, he put two and then spent one on return from Return to the Shadows, thinking he could land any time he wanted thereafter up until turn three. When it was found out, Nick was like, well, then I would have just spent the third command point putting him into reserves, and I was going first, so there was no reason for me to do that, which is true. Like, there's zero logical reason for Nick to keep the one unit there other than hoping he gets seized on and the unit gets shot, right? So it didn't make any sense. Regardless, um, the judge screwed up, and he and I talked about the mistake afterward. At the end of the game, when the game was decided, there had been a lot of nitpicking by Nick's opponent that had burned a lot of Nick's time, and both players were cool with the judge helping move a couple of Gene Steel Club models into position at the end of the game. Uh, I gave my judge a lot of hell for this as well, because especially on the stream, it's really hard to understand that it wasn't a big deal to the players or to the game because it looked really awful and he should never have touched them anyway. None of this really impacted the outcome of the game, but it was all really not cool in terms of how the judge handled it. And he's one of the better judges in the country in all honesty. He judges at places like LVO, Adepticon, Nova every single year on his own dime, and he is a volunteer. He shouldn't have done what he did. He made some serious mistakes, but Nick Rose didn't cheat. He had no reason to make up the ruling that ended up in his favor because he literally could have just had all of his guys come from below in the first place so it's kind of a non-issue but i had to have a long talk with my judge because he really could have done a better job with the situation and that's our bad novas not the players thank you so much mike for that background and insight and comments about the tournament in general and while i'm sure not every pitchfork will be put away and not every torch extinguished 
Nick Rose has shined up that head of his and is ready for the mall in the parking lot. <laughs> As we discussed on last week's episode, the Nova Open is split into two real main events, the Invitational and the Grand Tournament itself. While I'm sure other games get played there, they are really inferior and no one cares. Last week, I put together and some might say incredible breakdown of my predictions for the Invitational, backed by thrilling theme music and brotastic riffs. Let's take a look at how I did. That's right, folks. It appears you should not trust us for your over-unders because Val is about as good with a spreadsheet as die-hard Space Wolf players are with basic sentence structure. So let's get a breakdown on what actually went down. It's your Invitational Coverage Remix! Here we go, ladies and germs, children of all ages. It was the battle you all waited for. The rumble in the concrete jungle, the destruction in D.C., your Nova Open Invitational. Round one, fight. The champ is here, the champ is here. Tony Kopak applies the killer Kopak claw and crushes Alex Ang 33 to seven. The British invasion was real when John Lennon's Golden Army overthrew Alex Fennell's old-time rock and roll El Jari 33-5. Jim Vessel proved to be no vassal as Ben Sherwin Sherwin was denied 31-21. And Tyler Devise ignores Justin Curtis's cries from the corner, stomping him 33-0. Andrew Gagneau? More like Andrew's Gagneau. Dusted 31-11 by Austin Wingfield. Showing great foresight, Juice ghosted, leaving Sam Lucidi to suffer the wrath of Kurt Kloss, 30-15. It's a first-round swan song for Devin as Nick Nanavati takes down Devin Swan, 33-13. And Chris Blackham might have had a plan centuries in the making, but he still didn't see Shuckman coming. He gets blanked, 33-0. Round two, fight! Hey, Tony, how many stars in Orion's belt? 33, John Lennon cuts Kopak, 33-35. And then Tyler DeVries takes on the Jim Vessel Missile Crisis and Buenos Noches, see you next Tuesday to the ITC points leader. Austin doesn't need your presence, Mr. Claus. 33-7 for the wing field. Nick Nadavati says, Eldar? <laughs> oh yeah, I used to play that army. Bah, Shuckman, 32-11. Round three. Tyler is crying tears in heaven as John Lennon custody chops DeVries 33-6. And Nick Nottabody must have had a little brown magic in that old silk hat he found. Because when he put it on his head, Austin Wingfield went down to Brown Town 33-12. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Feeling. Uh -huh. Whoa. Round four. Final round. Finish him. This is it, the final. Nick, it's cool if you pay for it. Nanavati versus John Florida Man Lennon. Then it's Nick Nanavati. Nick Nanavati on stream for 12 hours. How does he do it, folks? It's like this is his job or something. Go to sleep early because there's absolutely nothing to see after turn three. Wee, 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 wee. Well, actually, why don't we let John and Nick tell us what actually happened? Here they are with their experiences and their thoughts on the final game that no one else got to see. Sick. Feel it. 
Hey guys, this is John Lennon from the Florida Man 40K podcast. So for the Nova Invitational, I actually brought my Custodes army. I ended up bringing something very straightforward but still deadly. Two Orion dropships, three Caladius grav tanks, Trajan, a Vexla Magnifica, and a three-man squad of guard with a couple storm shields tossed in. So my thought process behind this list was looking at the Nova missions and the ability to pick endgame, as well as knowing what the train was going to be like going into it. I thought that a flying shooty army with models tall enough to get over line of sight blocking was going to be the best thing for the Nova format. So for the Invitational, uh, that's kind of what I went with. Uh, the army focuses on durability and overwhelming firepower that's very, very efficient. It's a low drop count, so if it goes first, it can obviously do a number of damage. But if it goes second, it has the defense with prepare positions to outlast most people and still get it all done. I approached Nova a little differently by focusing with the Invitational list at least on how I was going to just kill people to prevent them from scoring and kind of worry about my own score later. Uh, because if people took a progressive against me, I could just shoot them off objectives to deny it. And if I took endgame, I could really only spend one turn thinking about scoring. The custodies list worked very well for me in that aspect. Uh, really, my goal was just to overwhelm people with my list and firepower, execute it cleanly, and then just kind of clean up the score later. Um, that was my goal for the Invitational. I ended up bringing Gene Stiller Cult to the Open because I wanted to improve my faction score, but I think the Custodes list was a little bit more optimized for the event format. My MVP for the Custodes was the Orions, just because of their speed, durability, and the amount of firepower they put out. They can split up their shots because they have six different guns, so I used them to finish off units that were wounded by the Kaladius, so I didn't have to overkill anything, and I got the most bang for my buck with all my firepower. My list was a variation of the normal Gene Seeder cult I've been running for the past six months or so. Uh, it was uh, dubbed as Muscle Beach. I ran a Twisted Helix Anointed Throng Battalion with a Patriarch, a Primus, two units of 10 Aberrants, a Nexus, and 30 Brood Brothers. Then I ran a Mixed Soup Detachment with an Acolyte Icon Ward, a Magus from the forum number with a Crouchling, Unit of 15 Acolytes with Rock Saws, a unit of 20 Hand Flamer guys, and a unit of 10 Brood Brothers. Um, and then finally, I ran an, a Bladed Cog Detachment, which was another Bladed Cog Patriarch, a Jackal Alphys, four units of 10 Mining Lasers, Neophytes with Mining Lasers, and a Keller Morph. Lately, I have been experimenting with a unit of five Demo Bikes. They also snuck in. I put them in the Soup Detachment as Rusted Claw Demo Bikes as well. Throughout the weekend, uh, my MVP was certainly, by far, without question, the Aberrants. They are the reason my list works. They're the focal point of my army. Um, they exert immense board control, especially with the Nova Ls. I'm able to hide a unit of 10 in there and just start controlling three-fourths of the table from without getting exposed to firepower at all. Um, and then the other unit will come down and probably end the game when it does, or at least set the tone of the match to be very much in my favor. But the list is, is very much a a working piece. You know, the mind lasers play their part, the Kellen Morph does his job. Even like the Nexus, some stuff like that, it all comes together as one powerful list. So claiming one unit as the MVP is a little misleading, but if I had to pick one, certainly the Aberrants. My favorite game of the Invitational was my game against Nick Nanavati in the finals. I'd actually played this game before, both as the Gene Stiller Cult player into that Custody list, and as Custody is into a good Gene Stiller Cult player. Uh, so I understood the matchup very well. 
I knew that if he dropped all his bodies on my side, he was going to just overwhelm me and win the game easily. So I fed my Orions into his own deployment zone, so he dropped his massive bodies there. And once they killed the Orions, they didn't get much impact on the game until turn 6. Um, unfortunately, Nick kind of caught on to my plan on about turn 4 when he realized he was losing. So he was able to push out, and he got there exactly on time to stop me. I needed him to fail a charge coming through a tangle foot grenade. Unfortunately, he stuck it and made it into my guard one turn before I was able to put it away, and he was able to just catch me, kill enough units to keep me off the endgame objectives, and he was able to win the Invitational. It was definitely a brilliant game on Nick's part. Um, I think I played it pretty well, and I liked my plan, but I just couldn't keep him off in time. I had a really tough strength of schedule for the Nova Invitational. From a matchup perspective, I got hit with Mechtau, followed by Sphere Council and Elmer Plains. Then I had a little break where I played against Plague Bears and Nut Chaos Knights, which is a favorable match for once. And then finally, the finals against Triple Caladius and Double Orion. Um, for As any Gene Circle player knows, the flying-based armies uh, are almost unwrappable and in some cases unchargeable, which makes it incredibly difficult to fight. Um, my hardest match was definitely the finals against John Lennon. He played it fantastically. I think he actually had a better idea of the match going in than I did, but I was able to capitalize on a couple positioning errors he made. And with a little bit of luck, I made some charges and uh, was able to fight my way through it. Um, had a great tournament. All four opponents were fantastic. Um, really happy with how I played in the Invitational. It was just a great tournament all around. Congratulations to the Brown Magic for his stellar performance and, more importantly, on getting his absolutely stunning GSC army displayed on stream for four games in a row on Thursday. Diversity is absolutely a key concept in streaming. Let's end this coverage with Nick explaining how he approaches Nova versus ITC missions. Nova and ITC are different beasts from the tournament theory perspective. In ITC, it's very much you just have to kill more and hold more while maxing your secondaries and minimizing the secondaries you give up. It's very minimalist. You just have to do the bare amount more than your opponent every single turn to win. Nova isn't like that. Nova, you could be playing two different missions entirely from your opponent. So it does require a different mode of thinking. Um, I would say ITC is much more just get by and score some points where Nova is trying to dominate your opponent and score points. Now that could be a matter of hiding all game and then coming out on turns 4, 5, and 6, which some armies are designed to do when they pick the endgame objectives, whereas my army is more board control. I pick progressive and try to dominate the first half. Who cares if I get tabled by the end of it? It's just different ways of thinking entirely, but they're both very valid. Um, while there are similarities, the two formats are vastly different from, a, from that perspective. Tournament news. Hey guys, this is Nick Nanavati from Knights of the Game Table Pro, where I teach you how to become a better 40k player. And you're listening to 40k Stat Center. Now, on to the main event. The Nova Open Grand Tournament. 295 players duking it out over a potential nine rounds of play for a chance to sidle up with greatness. To be, for one brief, shining moment, deemed the very best in the world at a tightly built but lightly used format that they will probably never play again until next year's Nova. For those of you who are unaware, Nova starts as a standard five-round grand tournament using its own homebrew of missions with a static terrain setup on all tables. After those five rounds are completed, all players are placed in a 16-person bracket where they play their final four rounds against the folks that finish closest to them in the opening rounds of play. 
The winner of each bracket is given a splendid prize, though we are told there is none greater than getting to shake Mike Brandt's hand and smell his musk. He said so himself. This year, as is the case every year, the field was absolutely ablaze with top-performing players from across the world, and when those first five rounds were over, you had to go pretty deep down the brackets before you ended up on a group that wasn't absolutely brimming with top talent. While you had to dig deep to find a set of uninteresting matchups, all eyes, as always, were on the big dogs. The top 16 this year was a cornucopia of 40K personalities and was as notable for the names that didn't make it as for the ones that did. Nick Nadavati, Jim Vessel, and TJ Lanigan all failed to make the top cut despite putting together pretty strong runs themselves. Let's take a quick gander at what cream did indeed rise to the top. First off, we had Anthony the Meadowlark Birdsong and Mark Mad Doc Parker with all the smash of guns you could desire. Jeremy the Fort Knox with Skyweavers and Flyers. Justin Cadillac Bandit Lois and Andrew Old Soul Ganyo with Admech, Tank Commanders, and Caladii, oh my. Chris Blackheart Blackham and Nick the Beacon Rose with the Gene Steeler Cults. Richard America's Sweetheart Siegler and Ryan Watercased Christensen with Tau. John, let it be, guys. Lennon with Dat Muscle Beach. Alexander the God Machine Fennel with Imperial Knights and Admech. Dan Debbie Downer and Brad the Beast Arises Chester with even more orcs. John Sack and Strahan McMahan with Chaos Space Marines. Lewis Stewart of the Omnissiah Stahlberg and Mark Harold of the Machine Spirit Hertel with Admech. That's right, folks. We had four orcs, three GSC, three Imperium, two Tau, two Admech, one Eldar, and one Chaos Player. Not a terrible spread at all. Particularly excellent uh, for the Gene Steeler Cult players uh, after it was announced just prior to the event that they would no longer be able to remove those blips and redeploy them past turn three of the game. While it was a serious blow to those lists, it uh, if it had an impact on their success, it's probably for the better given how well they performed anyway. And just how successful were they compared to the field? I think I feel some statistical bees buzzing around that head of yours, Falcon. How about you hit us with some Nova numbers? Crack open those spreadsheets, nerds. Because it's time to put the stats in Stats Center. Courtesy of 40kstats.com. That's right, folks. Gene Steeler Colts were out in abundance at Nova. Uh, a lot of a lot of it would have to probably be because with an endgame mission uh, option, uh, Gene Steeler Colts with that uh, th- turn four, five, six deep strike option um, really have a leg up on the competition. So uh, luckily for everybody else, that got removed just pre-tournament. Um, and even still, Gene Steelers, they ended up with a 53.84% win rate at the event. It was number five in your top five best win rates. Um, But if you look a little closer, they had by far the best average first round loss at 2.72. And Mm. they were tied with Orcs for the best T-Whip. So of the guys that managed to go 4-0 in that nine-round event, four of them were Gene Steeler Colts and four of them were Orcs. Uh, the rest uh, made up only ones and twos in, by comparison. I think so uh, we, we might need to uh, make make an adjustment to T-Whip for, for Nova, and it's nine rounds for everybody. Uh, you really think so? Well, no. I guess, <laughs> I mean, you, you had to go 4-0 to have a chance at the bracket, so we'll call it, we'll call it fair. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to to modify one statistic just for one one or two off events, and really um, anybody that goes four zero at Nova, they're going to be like the the cream of the crop anyway. Just like it with uh, any of those other nine rounders like LVO or uh, to a degree Adepticon, even though they do do that mega cut. Uh, regardless, um, so yeah, Gene Steeler Colts and Orcs uh, overall performed the best. Orcs had a 55.82% win rate. The only faction uh, that performed better uh, in just in that raw number was Custodes, ba- like on the back of the Caladius Grav Tank at 553 Um In terms of who showed up the most in general, the uh, Orcs were the most popular faction at Nova. What? They, yeah. Like, what do you want me to say? Well, I don't know. That's just shocking. What was the percentage? Uh, sorry, I, I lied. They were the third most popular. Custodes were the most popular. At twenty, <laughs> they made up twenty-six of the two hundred and ninety-five lists were Custodes primary. Twenty-four were Orcs. So pretty big numbers. Uh, that's about eight uh, percent, which is a big jump from where they'd been the last couple months, as they'd kind of do- dropped down to about a four mm-hmm. um, in terms of popularity. So a lot of people brought those orcs back out for Nova. Um, I'm told the missions really, uh, really do well for them, orc boys. Uh, Drukari came up next, 55.69%. Even though they really didn't have anybody show up in that uh, top 16 bracket, they did well just overall, kind of like in that kind of midfield. Uh, a lot of five and fours, a lot of six and threes uh, at the event for the Drukari players. Um, really, when you look at it, uh, this is a pretty diverse um, and successful um, uh, uh, tournament for factions. Um, there were only three or I would say there's five or six factions that really performed extremely poorly at the event. Mm. Um, a lot of them are your, your common like Space Wolves at a 30% win rate. But, you know, only four people really brought them. Um, eight people brought Dark Angels and they had a 32. Blood Angels at a 33. Tyranids at a 38. So those are kind of like your bottom. And uh, a lot of uh, 50 and ups. Uh, you had Imperial Knights at a 49.69, which is very low for them. Yeah, uh, They didn't do very well compared to their norm. Chaos Space Marines also had a drop at 49.67. They've been performing a lot better in other, uh, in other like ITC event styles. Space Marines, even though this was pre-New Codex, broke 50% for the first time in a long time. And they, they had uh, 12 players play them, so it wasn't like this was a one or two. Um, so, yeah, really good showings overall for, for some factions. Uh, a lot of uh, big jumps, uh, but nothing I really didn't expect in terms of numbers. There wasn't any, any faction, I think, that surprised me. Maybe surprised other people when we talk a little bit later about how a couple other factions performed. I don't know. But... I, you're you're kind of pulling a bit of a Pablo there because... I think just the the breakdown of what factions showed up is is pretty pretty amazing. The spread itself is crazy. I would say. I mean, I guess so. I mean, Adeptus Custodes being at twenty six is actually pretty common right now, and it pr- hopefully, theoretically, will drop with the nerf of the Caladius because it had been Custodes had become you know eight percent or so of the meta just because of the Caladius. Um, there were only nine mono faction Custodes players there, and they had a win percentage of forty seven percent so um really it, it was the the multi-faction that soup as it were that was uh, really carrying them along um they also had the best uh, overall uh, vp at 24.19 average which is pretty strong um yeah i mean then you have your Jukari orcs gene stealer cults did extremely well across the board 
uh, Admech, which I've been kind of talking about as a faction people need to start looking at as mm-hmm. they've gotten better and better, just below Genestealer they're called. It's a 53.5% win rate. Um, so, yeah. Pretty sweet. I don't really... I don't really have much more to say about that. If people really want to get at me for the exact numbers, you can always check out 40kstats.com. It's all up there now. Um, if you want something super in-depth, by all means, send me an email. Uh, my email address is, uh, you can actually ac- access it right on 40kstats.com. Um, if your request is overly ridiculous, I, I may or may not respond uh, just because there's some some things that take me way too long to dig into. Like if you want to know exactly how a Chaplain Dreadnought performs in competitive play, Maybe not going to get back to you as fast as uh, some other requests. Well, so. who wouldn't want to know that? Also, uh, the Falcon loves it when you uh, mix him up with me. So address all those stats questions to Val Heffelfinger at 40kstats.com. That's I love Val it. Val Heffelfinger at 40kstats.com. And so, our 16 heroes waged a war of wits over their final 12 hours of Warhammer. And when the dust settled on the eighth round, only two people remained undefeated. Richard Siegler and Nicholas Rose. Both men had absolutely grueling matches in the lead-up to the finale, with Nick defeating the 18 smash-a-guns of the previous undefeated Anthony Birdsong on stream in round eight, and Richard turning his game around against John Lennon by having a single shield drone tank the full force of 20 hand-flamer acolytes and breaking the hive mind's will over its shiny chrome exterior. Let's go over their lists. Awesome. Which one do you want to cover first? Oh, I don't know. There's so many to choose from. We've got Nick's or we've got Richard's. Why don't you do Nick's? I'll handle the towel. Are you, are you sure you've struggled of late with handling these lists? And by of late, I mean always. Listen, dickhead, I think <laughs> I can handle it just fine. And uh, why don't you just, you know, follow the host and read some lists. Chop, chop. Fine. So we had Nicholas Rose, who uh, brought Gene Steeler Cults. He, his first battalion was a mixed faction one with a four-armed Emperor Magus, a four-armed Emperor Patriarch, a Bladed Cog Keller Morph, a Twisted Helix Nexus, three 10-man Broodbrother Infantry Squads. He then had a Bladed Cog Battalion with the Deliverance Brood Surge Vigilist Detachment. In that, he had an Acolyte Icon Ward, a Jackal Alphys, a Keller Morph, 20 Handflamer uh, Acolyte Hybrids, and then five units of 10 Neophyte Hybrids uh, with two Mining Lasers and two Webbers in each. And he rounded it out with a final Gene Stealer Cults Battalion. This one was Twisted Helix with a Patriarch, a Primus, a Clamavis, 10 Aberrants, uh, 8 with Power Picks, 2 with those heavy improvised stop signs, 2 squads of uh, 9 uh, hybrid metamorphs with Hand Flamers, uh, Whips, and Rending Claws, as well as a uh, Cult Icon in each. And then he had uh, 2 minimum 5-man squads of Acolyte Hybrids and 1 more Brew Brothers Infantry Squad of the 10-man variety. Yeah, okay. There's, uh, I guess, like sort of a, a, a Muscle Beach variance list there. Well, it's really more of a, I would say, like a take-all 
comers uh, style list here. It's the only has the one unit of aberrance. I mean, and they do do a lot of work for him. It's got a lot of the good stuff. Um, the big thing for him that you don't see in a lot of lists is those hybrid metamorphs. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw them do a lot of action in his round eight game against uh, Anthony. Um, because the big thing that a lot of people uh, don't know or forget about them is if you bring the whips, uh, they fight on death. So if you buff them up to get you know four or five attacks each, and then some uh, big old dumb bunch of orc boys runs into them and kills all nine like they should because they're paper mache, mm-hmm. chances are you know twenty to thirty orc boys are just going to get torn to bits and picked up off the table. And that's exactly what happened in uh, Anthony's round eight game there. Um, he charged a unit of nine with his orc boys, and they were absolutely deleted. Um, it's a really good uh, counterpunch, um, and uh, it, it worked definitely in Nick's, Nick's favor. It was a huge swing point uh, really early in that game. Yeah, well, that's why the, the, the orcs say, shoot the choppy, chop the shooty. <laughs> so why, speaking of shooty, what a segue. Uh, why don't we uh, hit up old Richie Siegler's list here? Gibbard? From the Nova Open, read impeccably by Val Heffelfinger. So all of the detachments are tau-sep. We're just getting that right out of the way. Uh, the first one is an Outrider detachment starring a commander in Enforcer battle suit with ATS, that's the Advanced Targeting System, and three of the marvelous Cyclic Ion Blasters. You should look them up because you're going to see them everywhere now. Two shield drones and dark strider are the HQs there. Uh, in the troop slot, he did bring five fire warriors, also with two shield drones. There's a theme. In fact, fast attack, he had a unit of pathfinders, uh, just stock, um, with two shield drones, a recon drone, a grav inhibitor drone, and a pulse accelerator drone. And then he uh, brought another one of that exact same unit. He then had uh, two units of six shield drones, and one unit of five shield drones. After that, he had a uh, vanguard attachment, of course, starring the uh, commander in a uh, uh, enforcer battle suit, the triple cyclic ion, two shield drones, and the advanced targeting system. And then he was also rocking in this detachment three riptides, each with the smart missiles, the advanced targeting system, a heavy burst cannon, and the velocity tracker for plus one to hit fly. And then finally, rounding it all out, he had three Cadre Fireblades, each rocking two shield drones uh, and a commander in an Enforcer battle suit with the triple cyclic ion, an advanced targeting system, also with two shield drones, and an ethereal with two shield drones, all tied nicely together in that Supreme Command detachment. So there you go. No battalion. Uh, light uh, in, in the command point section. Uh, he's, he's just rocking six CP there. And uh, it's uh, got a lot of itty-bitty shield drone units. Let's see. We got uh, five, uh, six. Is it eight? Does it get all the way to eight? He does. In terms of the two mans, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got 40, I believe it's 43 shield drones when it's all said and done, uh, when you yeah. add all of them numbers up. Um, this list is very uh, similar to one he's been running basically since LVO. Yes. Um it's we will talk about it a little bit later, but maybe we should just get to what Richard and Nick have to say about the lists themselves as, as they're the experts. What? But we but you got to what all right, fine. We'll kick it over to <laughs> Richard first. Yes, this was the first time I had been to Nova. In fact, I was able to sneak into the event at the last minute from the waitlist. Overall the event was outstanding. 
In my opinion, Mike Brandt and his team uh, did an excellent job in making sure Nova ran as smoothly as possible. And I'd also like to give special thanks to the TOs and judges, especially Phil, Sam, and Justin, who were fantastic throughout the weekend. The key pieces of my list are 43 drones spread over 13 different units, 3 cyclic ion commanders, 3 riptides, and 4 ballistic skill 2 plus marker light characters. My main strategy at Nova was to select endgame for my primary and then control the board with my drone units and deny as many of my opponent's progressive points as possible, while eliminating their key units. I was really hoping to avoid playing against any plague bearers, and especially those piloted by Jim Vessel, TJ Lanigan, and Mark Perry, and fortunately I didn't have to play any of them at Nova. My MVPs this weekend were the two-man drone units and Pathfinder drone units. Um, they were amazing in screening out my opponent's combat threats, most notably in my last three games against Gene Sierra Colt, and they scored me recon points every single game that I played. Hey Val, yeah, so um, yeah, I did bring the ETC Grot list to um, Europe, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I think the big reason why it motivated me to bring GSE, I've been playing the Grots or Orcs probably for nine months straight, nothing else. And I need kind of a support team to really help play that list, just from deploying, putting models back between different rounds. And so between that and not really wanting to play 300 models, um, I kind of went back to GSC. Um, now, that being said, I haven't really played them much, so it was kind of rough and didn't really get any other practice games. So it was just like, all right, let's go have a last hurrah. And that's kind of how I ended uh, with GSC. Um, what made my list? unique for GSC um, I don't know if it was really unique you know we talked about a list uh, Nick Brown and I in Sweden uh, when we were together uh, practicing for ETC and we kind of made some similar concepts of what we were going to play I really wanted to differ between Aberrant someone had metamorphs because of the whips we kind of viewed them as a cheap um, metamorph a cheap Aberrant unit based on the way and the same um, being Twisted Helix, they would kind of counter um, Aberrants in that way, because if they die, they mutual self-destruction. So that was kind of the really only design, because, you know, we wanted a couple other things in the list, like the Clam Abyss, which really, really just help um, big board control and helping from Deep Strike. Um, probably helped me actually win kind of my games, too. So, you know, there's a big reason in trying to make that trade-off. Why is it that whenever we interview these guys, one of them always blows the lead? That's right, folks. Richard... Sig Hale, this is a test to see if you'll read whatever I write. Please use something else, Siegler. Thanks, Falcon, who writes most of the show. <laughs> let's let's use a different nickname. I'm pretty sure people will be mad about Sig Hale. No, Falcon, you wrote it, and now the internet's gonna roast you harder than Lionel Johnson when he got back to Caliban. You have no idea what that means, do you? Not a clue. We asked both players to go through the game and how it all went down from their points of view. Highlight from the champs would definitely be Richard Siegler. Um, he was such an amazing player. Um, you can definitely tell he played a lot of people um, or a lot of GSC players. He practices with John Lennon, so he definitely had a plan, came and executed, and did it amazingly. I don't think I could find a chink in his armor to get through or to find a hole. Um, as I'd say, he played me and beat me like a drum, um, but he was an amazing player and it was an awesome game. Going into the final, I had just played two intense matches against two of the very best Gene Steeler Colt players, and now had to face another incredible player in Nick Rose. 
The stream table has much heavier terrain, making it easier for Nick to hide part of his army out of line of sight turn one, so I knew I would have to play patient and wait for my opportunity. He chose progressive scoring, and I focused on shooting his units off of the two midfield objectives each turn in order to ensure he would not get more than two primary points. Because of that, Nick was forced to play more aggressively because I was maxing two of my secondaries and he needed to get marked for death and headhunter. Additionally, I had my army camped out on the forest because it caused minus two to charge rolls, in addition to the minus d3 from the grab drones that I had stationed near the riptides, so potentially minus five to charges uh, when Nick was trying to send his patriarch and aberrants in, and that is why Nick moved his aberrants through the wall, um, you know, allowing me to overwatch against them, but it made the charge much more manageable. In the final, there were multiple small swing moments that started to push the game in my favor. One of them was that when Nick started targeting the two-man shield drone units with his shooting, multiple times a single shield drone would survive the turn and not only get me a recon point the following turn, but also continue pushing and screening his army out, especially the aberrants which were waiting in deep strike for an opportunity to charge the riptides. The last thing that I will say about the final is that it was one of the most relaxing games of 40k that I've ever played. Nick and I agreed before the game to play it as a gentleman's game and to let our decisions and tactics decide the winner, rather than a pivotal moment where one of us might forget something critical. The sportsmanship that he demonstrated throughout the match was world-class, and I hope I get the chance to play against him again soon. Now that sounds like one heck of a game and... A budding bromance, perhaps. Who knows? And you can watch it yourself on uh, Warhammer TV. If you give them a, a sub, you can go back and watch their VODs. Uh, or just do what I do and give them the, the Prime subscription uh, once in January for LVO and once in September for Nova. Um, all right. So, Falcon, why didn't you bring up any Tau numbers when talking about the top performers at Nova, given that they actually won the event in the end? Well, Val, I'm not really sure that the numbers mattered. Um, so many members of the community have pointed it out. This list really is only designed to win in the Nova format and would do terrible in the ITC. Terrible in the ITC? Terrible in the ITC? Hold on to your butt. You just triggered a hot and heavy. Heffeltorial. Heffeltorial. <laughs> Richard was 21-3-3 and in ITC format GTs and majors this ITC season and 6th place in the ITC going into Nova. He was also 22-2 in RTTs. These results were almost universally with the same list he brought to Nova with the exception of the aforementioned Fire Warrior squad. To further explain why this has far more to do with the player and not the faction, the drones, or the format, look at the stats. 19 players brought Tau to Nova, 6.4% of the field, and they had an average win percentage of 44.8%, and I wasn't even playing. Without Ziegler, those numbers dropped to 43.3%, just slightly above Grey Knights, who we all know are a current powerhouse. Of those 19 players, only six had winning records. Siegler himself talks about how Tau in general can struggle in the Nova format due to the terrain and the difficulty in taking the midboard and Nova missions on our sister podcast, The Art of War. You should check it out before you wreck yourself. Thank you. Mic drop. And finally, 
As Val said earlier, we highly recommend you all check out the stream put on by Warhammer TV over on Twitch, not just for the finale, but for the majority of the games. Um, I myself am a particular fan of Game 6 featuring John Lennon and Jeremy Knox. There was a lot of excellent strategy on display at the event, and our pals Reese and Frankie, with the help of Mariana on cameras and Dare Mood on the table, they put on a heck of a show. Uh, yeah, and I just actually want an extra shout-out, uh, Jeremy Knox, who absolutely kicked my ass at what I think was his first GT in the spring at uh, Warzone Atomic Empire. Uh, and he's a class act, really great guy. I was rooting for him all weekend. Came up a bit short once he got to the 16, flew a little close to the sun, but hey, next year he's, uh, he's a name to watch. Let's hit that bump. Tournament News. This is Colin. This is Mitch. This is Chuck. And we're from the Best in Faction podcast, and you're listening to 40k Stat Center, where one host has a really strange nickname, and the other one's called the Falcon. Birmingham, England, birthplace of Black Sabbath, the Industrial Revolution, and probably child labor. It is also the home of the longest-running and second-largest 40k major in the UK, Battlefield Birmingham. The event has been going strong for nine years, as far as we can tell, with a big focus on community, sportsmanship, and borderline alcoholism. Event progenitor and TO Harry Allen gave us the lowdown. Hey guys, it's Harry from Battlefield Birmingham in the UK here. Uh, so we just finished Battlefield Birmingham 16 last weekend, which was a great success. Was told everyone had great games, and from a TO point of view, everything ran as smoothly as we could have hoped. Battlefield Birmingham is a 2,000 point of tournament using up to three detachments. Running at the same time as this, uh, players can enter a team of four um, where each round will take their three best scores and that will form their team score. Uh, this year it was won by Team Draco, which Malik was part of. Um, also, we have Best in Faction, where players will spend 1,500 points or more in their chosen faction. Um, to qualify, so if Blood Angel player choose chose 1,500 points uh, of Blood Angels, then they will qualify for Blood Angels. We also have most fluffy awards, best army nominees, last place and spot prizes throughout the weekend. Battlefield Birmingham runs missions similar to that of the ETC, as in we do the dual Eternal War and Maelstrom of War missions at the same time. Uh, so it's a mix of missions from the rule book and chapter approved 2017 and 2018 and the next one will also include missions from the 2019 chapter approved that is yet to be released. Uh, Battlefield Birmingham 16 was won by Malik Amin Rubio from Team Draco. Second place was Stephen Box from Vanguard Tactics and third place went to Ben Jones also from Vanguard Tactics. We have been running Warhammer 40,000 events for about eight years now. It started with a small 16-man event back in 2011, as at the time there were no Birmingham-based events. Uh, we have now grown to a 110-player event and have been that size for about three years. We don't have any plans on going bigger, although we possibly could get about double if the waiting list was anything to go by. I've run the event for the whole of the time, and my co-organiser, Daniel Moody, has been helping me for around four years since we got to 60 players or more. Um, we are based in Birmingham, England. That's next to Cadbury World in Bourneville. Cadbury World is the place where they make Cadbury's chocolate. And we have been there at that venue for around about two years.
We pride ourselves on having some of the best boards and terrain on the UK tournament scene. Uh, we also provide the most amount of prizes and trophies. I believe it was 51 trophies won at Battlefield Birmingham 16. Uh, probably the highlight would be somebody's sentinel kicked an Imperial Knight to death. Um, our next event will be in March. And if you go to Facebook and do a search for Battlefield Birmingham, we'll be the ones with the skull logo with the B in it. Uh, so you can stay tuned for when we drop Battlefield Birmingham 17 in 2020. So until then, stay safe. See you soon. Bye-bye. As Harry mentioned, Battlefield is an ETC-style event, though rather than using the 20-nil differential scoring most common to that style, they use a 12-to-1 scale based on the degree to which you defeat your opponent. This year would see 98 of the 110 players that signed up show up for drinks, dice, and an absolute drubbing at the hands of their opponents. Now, something special about this event in terms of the competitive 40K meta as a whole was that it was the very first major to allow the new Space Marine Codex and the supplements that are sweeping the world of the 41st millennium. The rules and FAQ cutoff for Battlefield Birmingham were just one week prior to the event, so a plethora of power-armored fanatics rushed to shove their favorite Sons of the Primarchs into whatever lists they could, and the results were pretty extraordinary. Thirteen of the 98 players brought mono-faction Space Marines to the event, almost triple their normal representation in the field to date, and two of the top four lists were pure Adeptus Testardis, while a third made use of them in at least one of his detachments. James, the last Templar Marsden, would take fourth place with monofaction Black Templars. Ben, these ain't drones Jones, would take third place with Eldar Flyer Spam, backed by Prophets of Flesh Grotesques. Stephen, the Drop Box, would take two with monofaction Ultramarines, and Malik, the Dream, Amin, Rubio, would eventually take it all with a mix of Custodes, Guard, and Ultra Smurfs. We managed to catch up with Stephen Vox mid-protein shake and somehow got him to give a rundown on how the event and his list went. Before we cut to him, though, let's just take a quick look at his list. Now you'll have to give me a quick minute to pull it up. So for Battlefield Birmingham 16, uh, Stephen Vox uh, brought a Ultramarines Battalion, with a lieutenant wielding a mastercrafted bolt gun, a power maul in the new Seal of Oath relic, and Marnius Kalgar as his warlord. He then had a 10-man intercessor squad with bolt rifles, two five-man scout squads with bolt guns, a repulsor with the full Gatling cannon loadout, not the Laz Cannon or Laz Talon loadout. He then had a vanguard detachment of ultramarines with chief librarian Tigurius, a five-man aggressor squad with Boltstorm gauntlets, and a four-man, correction, a three-man uh, aggressor squad with Boltstorm, and an Invictor tactical warsuit. He topped it off with a final spearhead Ultramarines detachment with a run-of-the-mill chaplain wielding a jump pack and power fist, a relic leviathan dreadnought with double storm cannon arrays, and two thunderfire cannons. Hey guys, Stephen Box here from Vanguard Tactics. Now, I believe this was my fourth time attending Battlefield Birmingham, and every time prior, I've kind of gone fourth or fifth with a, like a four in one record. Uh, it's a 2,000 point five, five game 
two-day event, um, ETC-style mission. Now, the organization is absolutely fantastic. The, org, uh, the event always runs really smoothly. The terrain is beautiful, um, and the atmosphere is fantastic with a really good high caliber of players. Um, and everyone really kind of does their best with the hobby side of things as well, which is also great to see. Uh, everything's, you know, beautifully painted, and, you know, people really do take the time and effort to kind of bring that side of the hobby, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and I've always had fantastic games there like, amongst so many different players every time I've gone so it's a really really fantastic event so I decided to take the new Marines um, for a few different reasons really the biggest one for me is that because of my YouTube channel and some of the coaching that I do I really wanted to get the experience using the new book um, and in particular Ultramarines I think the the kind of white scars are the ones that look a little bit sexier on paper. They've got a few more tricks in the Ultramarines, but I thought knowing how I like to play, my play style when I've used Chaos in the past, Chaos Space Marines, I saw a lot of synergies within the book that I wanted to try out. And it's one of those things theory hammering, but what I really like to do is get models on the table and there's nothing better than going to a good event and throwing yourself you know, right in the depths to see actually how does the list stand up, what units are performing well, which aren't, which are kind of just, you know, which ones do look good on paper and which actually are um, the ones that are going to be your, you know, auto includes every single time. So that was kind of my main reasoning. I've got the LGT coming up in a couple of weeks. So I wanted to use this, this event as a bit of a test run to see how well that list could perform at the LGT and then SoCal and maybe at LVO later on this season. So, um, there's some big events for me lined up and for me I'm now just putting in the groundwork and you know getting those reps in and I thought this would be fantastic so one of the biggest things that I did was I looked at the Ultramarines Codex and looked at those, looked at the, first of all the Tactical Doctoring, that is the Sons of Gulliman or whatever it might be, Scions of Gulliman, and their Tactical Doctoring for me was something that I thought how am I going to leverage this, how am I going to make the most of it and that's exactly how I created the list was using those units that are going to benefit most from that. So essentially, when that unit is stood still, um, when that unit moves, when you're in the tactical doctoring, then you are counted as stationary, which is why aggressors, um, you know, basically my MVP of my list. Um, they were put in there to you know move and then double shoot. So the weight of fire is absolutely fantastic. So um, they really managed to put a work in, no matter what it was. That I was facing um, and then even that has a good carryover to some other units as well like the, the Leviathan Dreadnought did brilliantly to be able to move um, and whether I'm spending a CP to put him on his uh, you know ignoring the penalties for moving and shooting or if he's in the tactical doctrine he counts as being stationary anyway it just means it increases his threat range so I was able to use the cover really well hide him keep him out of line of sight and then only bring him out when's needed um, and the biggest thing for me was understanding and controlling the game uh, with those kind of units. And that was kind of what I really put a lot of emphasis on in the list um, in controlling the board in the tempo of the game. And that's, I think, what you know did me well over the course of those five matches, no matter who I played, because I did play such a big variance in armies, which is actually great for a test run to see what you know units are performing really, really well. So without a shadow of a doubt, the hardest matchup for me was the three Tyrannus Knight list. 
it's one in which um, because of the marines only have kind of a lot of strength four a lot of strength five shots it is weight of fire that bring these guys down and then obviously combat but it really puts an emphasis on the deployment and the movement phase and making sure that your threat ranges are correct um, in really waiting for that point in which to strike and knowing when you should pick your fight. And I think that's the real key there. So that was certainly the hardest matchup. The hardest game though uh, was actually Genie Stealer Colt uh, because it certainly meant that I couldn't be as aggressive as I was in previous games and I really had to hunker down. And in ETC, that's not really something that you wanted to do. And unfortunately, I met Genie Stealer Colt at the worst possible time in the tournament, um, which was actually my draw. So I won the game 24-22, but that's counted as a draw for this um, this this tournament. Uh, the game ended at five, unfortunately. I think he had about two characters left and one set of mortars. If the game goes on, then you know that becomes a much bigger win because I'm at all the um, I'm on all the objectives at that point. So killing the army wasn't the difficult thing; it was outplaying it based on the mission. But the thing that was the biggest tipping point, unfortunately, my warsuit got wrapped. Um, he rolled like an 11-inch charge, wrapped my warsuit. That was on an objective. And um, essentially, the thing that turned the game around was me charging my repulsor into that unit of Acolyte hybrids with eight rock source. Because if I didn't, then what would have happened was the Acolytes would have piled in and killed my warsuit in his in my turns, which meant he could have then consolidated three inches, then moved and then charged into my line to potentially cast, you know, the power to ignore. Um, so I couldn't basically overwatch. So, you know, charging in my repulsor basically meant that what would happen now was that that unit would kill my warsuit. Um, and then it also meant that he could not fall back in charge when it come to his turn and stuff And he was basically locked in combat with my repulsor and then he had to bring down another unit of acolytes to deal with that So that meant when that when they when both of those units both died I could then use all of my firepower and I picked up, you know 40 acolytes in a turn and that really changed the game um, And I was able then once I neutralized most of the threats to push on and start grabbing the rest of the board so my MVP for the event had to be the Thunderfire Cannons. They're tremor shells. Um, I was really able to pin a few units in their place when I played against the Demon Horde. Um, I was just able to stick the um, Thunderfire shells um, or tremor shells on those Plague Bearers so they were sort of half moving, advancing and charging, which just meant that his characters um, in those Demon Princes had nowhere to go and I could deal with them. Um, you know, gave me a couple more turns extra shooting. So they were absolutely fantastic fishing out units in buildings um, And then also the the aggressors doing a lot of the heavy lifting a lot of people really underestimate their fire output and then also their combat ability as well so um, Yeah, for me those are my two standout units the warsuit. I'll be honest I really wasn't impressed with um, and he's certainly something that I'm dropping for future games He looks cool on paper with the redeploy strap But I think sometimes when you get too tricksy with a list you're trying to look for all these clutch little moments Often they rarely come up and really what wins games is consistent play um, In managing absolutely everything whether it's your objectives your secondaries the primary mission Focusing on that with your buff your auras and your abilities and relying on what the units that you know consistently perform well they're the ones that are going to win you the game not a fancy stratagem so what are my thoughts on the new book well for me like i said earlier the strength really relies in understanding game tempo 
understanding how to you know speed up and control the game in regards to how many units that you're losing and how many units that you're killing so for me it's there's no single unit that is absolutely groundbreaking it's all of those things coming into harmony with each other to buff and you know pr provide protection to each another unit is absolutely fantastic so um yeah for me that's really where everything comes down you know not many people took out my lothiathan i think only lost my repulsor like twice over the tournament but you know the intercessors there the aggressors they stand the test of time which is absolutely fantastic to see with the scouts being able to move block and grab objectives just for a little bit of a or you know nulling deep strikes and all that kind of good stuff so it's all there and it works together which is absolutely what i love about the army um, and i think it's really underestimated uh, a lot of people you know much prefer aggressive units alpha strike stuff and this list doesn't have it but what it does have is absolutely brilliant um it does well i think scoring and that's the most important thing is playing the mission not just trying to math hammer out you know how many wounds you can do against a knight or whatever so uh, really the experience of that game is you know brilliant uh, what I want to try out next is going to be those eliminators just to maybe help out with some of the more challenging matchups like the demons sniping out some of those crucial characters and again put my opponent you know just to worry about where they're going to go what they're going to do with them in the threat of just even having them in the list and one last thing guys thanks so much for having me on the show um, really honored to be um, part of such an amazing podcast and keep doing the good work guys absolutely love it Aw, Steve, that's too kind. Thank you. You know what? So we're going to do a good one in return. And you can find a perpetually shirtless Steven running VanguardTactics.com, a 40K website, YouTube channel, and webcam club devoted to bettering the 40K community as a whole. He also captured one of the, sorry, he captained one of the United Nations teams at this year's ETC, and he seems to know what he's doing. Uh, now, folks, we arguably saved the best for last on our Birmingham coverage. Malik Amin Robio has been, and I'm sorry for absolutely masquering your name, buddy, uh, has been an, a perpetual top table performer for the entirety of 8th edition, um, whether it was his dominating performances with Anari through the 2018 season to his switch to a series of Imperium-based multi-faction lists in this one. Uh, for one, Malik was one of the first to win a large event with the dreaded Triple Caladius. Um, it is rare that we don't see his name come up from event to event, and Battlefield Birmingham was no different. Malik was more than willing to give us an extremely thorough breakdown of his list and the event itself, and uh, we just want to give him like a big thank you because he took a lot of time in doing this. Let's hear what he has to say. Yeah, so this weekend was Battlefield Birmingham, and uh, we had pretty much the whole Dice Down team, four out of the five players there. Uh, which kind of tells you a little bit about what we think of the event. So uh, it's my third time there, and it's definitely one of the best UK events. So uh, just as, as you mentioned, uh, almost 100 players, so 98 players after dropouts, and um, it really has one of the best atmosphere uh, that there is around. So Harry, the, the tournament organiser, uh, is just such a down-to-earth guy, and uh, he's a big Blood Bowl player, actually, so you can imagine just a, a laugh a minute. Uh, he's always always kind of making fun of himself, which is, is just comical and um, takes sportsmanship really seriously. So uh, it's his number one filter, really. 
so the event atmosphere is just incredible everyone's laughing and giggling and there's space for everything really so there's space for kind of just players who want to go enjoy five games and there's space for those of us that obviously play really competitive uh 40k uh the tournament itself is a mix of eternal war and maelstrom so quite a typical mix where you're doing both kind of the, the progressive or end of game scoring and you're using the maelstrom cards um and for me it's it's a really special tournament so i've been three times and twice i've come really close so and i've lost in the top table and finished 4-1 so it's been a real goal of mine to, to kind of get my hands on i have won a doubles tournament there before uh but there's nothing quite like the singles and actually the, the really cool thing birmingham does is they run a team event concurrently with the the singles event so uh we were playing for both uh obviously the singles title and the team event, which is really cool. And we were fortunate enough to win both. Uh, so super exciting, which I guess is kind of why I'm on here. Uh, but amazing tournament. Uh, and uh, if you're ever in the UK, definitely one to, to go to. What's next? Ah, oh, tough, tough question, if I'm honest with you. So um, obviously the nerf came so soon uh before lgt or it was such a short time frame that um it left me with very little time uh, I, I did have a couple of other things so i was tempted uh just to switch to eldar planes which um kind of played before and, and i know eldar inside out um or maybe even the chaos horde and the chaos toolbox which is absolutely my pick to win the london grand tournament anything with established terrain in that way uh, again we cover that in an article in in dice down soon about the different types of terrain um so chaos chaos toolbox definitely my pick so i was tempted by those two things but two weeks away uh, i wanted to kind of stay true to the models i'd painted and the the stuff i'd practiced for so um i'm still going to be using the imperium suit but i've switched the uh Caladesis to arachnus heavy blaze cannons uh which got a buff which nobody really uh kind of focused on uh with the whole Caladius change so d3 plus 3 damage Ultimately, a lot of the time the Caladuses were doing the heavy lifting for me in terms of removing vehicles. So a um, bit of a tough pill to swallow because I had to drop the, the Thunderfire Cannon because it wasn't just the fact that Caladuses got nerfed. It was the amount of time I had left to kind of submit a list uh, or submit two lists really for both the Invitational uh, and the London Grand Tournament. So you'll see me play Imperium Soup for, for one more tournament. And after that, it's anyone's guess. Uh, I miss Eldar. I miss Eldar deeply. They're... they're they're my my absolute favorite faction. I, I own all things Eldar. Um, you know, it's a really sad story for me, Yanari, and not being able to play them. Um, but um, you know, I've shown this season that you know I can play something different and still win. So, um, I've gone to a few events. Uh, so won two events with knights, three events now with Imperium Soup. There's there's three or so majors mixed into them. So, um. I'm I'm not sure, uh, but hopefully still something that helps me kind of compete uh, at the top of the game, um, and we'll see. I mean the the marine stuff is super interesting. Like if you'd have asked me kind of six weeks ago before the codex whether I'd ever consider marines, I'd I'd, I'd tell you you were, you were fantasizing. So, um, you know I really enjoyed uh, some of the war suits, and I think with a bit more time, there's definitely a build in there for for mono marines. So, um, I'll definitely uh, look at that. Um, or who knows, I might just go completely, completely the opposite way and get into a horde, which I haven't done yet. 
so it's, it's exciting for me, if I'm honest with you, being able to, to kind of change it all up. But um, September FAQ around the corner uh, probably won't change much until then. And then my season really kicks off after LGT. So I got Amsterdam and some London tournaments uh, and Element Games Grand Slam. So big UK tournaments. And uh, this year I am heading to the LVO. Uh, so uh, we'll see. It's all a bit of a road to there. Uh, sadly, I wasn't able to go there last year, even though I was ranked fifth in the world just before it. So I wasn't able to defend that ranking. So that's kind of the plan. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, uh, our MVP is hard to pick. So um, I write my lists to make sure that everything is causing the opponent damage and he's got a real difficulty deciding what to to pick um yeah you, you will have read it in lots of different blogs that kind of stuff and certainly in our dice down articles and some that are not yet released to come around list building uh i'm all about threat saturation even if it means i sometimes give up board control um so list mvp is quite hard but i have to say kind of the scorpius combo did some ridiculous things at one point uh in one one shooting phase it did 23 wounds to a knight uh which was just uh ridiculous so Basically, when, when you pair it with a Space Marine Relic to reroll hits and wounds versus one single chosen target, that's just insane. Uh, but my list MVP is always going to be uh, my Punisher Tank Commander. He's just always good. Uh, being able to use the Vestroian Strat on him, making him BS2, all of a sudden starts threatening even things that are minus two to hit. So even kind of um, Harlequin bikes, uh, which have got lightning fast reflex on them. When he uses Vengeance for Cadia, he's harming Chaos in all sorts of ways, whether it's the Horde uh, or the kind of the even Knights, really, uh, when you pair him with old grudges, which I often do. Um, so the Punisher Tank Commander never lets me down. Uh, it's the first time for a little while I've gone out with just one and not two, which makes me feel a little bit nervous. Um, but that's definitely my MVP. I adore him uh, in particular because he's, he's painted gold. Uh, <laughs> which uh, is uh, my favourite thing in the world and uh, Alex hates uh, so kind of my partner at Dice Down uh, is not a keen fan of it so the more uh, I can paint gold uh, the more they'll go into my lists oh this is a tough one I had um, three really tough tough games that, that were kind of in the balance and um a real laugh throughout, actually. I, I feel like I, I kind of drew uh, the lucky straw and um, managed to get uh, lots of really good opponents. Um, but aside from the final, which is uh, always a laugh because I was playing Mark Crumbleholm, who's a regular tournament winner here in the UK. Um, I think my favourite game must have been Mike, Mike Costello uh, in game four. Uh, so I played Mike before and uh, he's a laugh a minute and an absolute gentleman. So um, he was running a demon engine list. Uh, so three Mauler Fiends, three Lord Discordants, a Knight and some Red Corsair, CP Farm, uh, Marines uh, backing it all up. And um, Mike's army is always beautifully painted. He's got some incredible guard that win awards wherever he goes. Uh, and he's just such a gentleman to play. You know, we were playing game four, table one or two. I can't even really remember. Um, and we just played it in the spirit that you want to see top level competitive play. Um, and hilariously, uh, game three had actually been seized on. So um, 
somebody, uh, the, 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 my opponent in game three had put everything on the line, even though he was going second, proceeded to seize and give me a really hard game. And I, t- I was obviously complaining about it to Mike. I was saying, please don't do that to me. Uh, and lo and behold, uh, I win first turn. I deploy my army. Uh, Mike puts everything on the line because obviously what else do demon engines do? Uh, and, and seizes on me. So uh, I've got very quickly three Mall of Fiends and three Lord Discordants in my face with a knight shooting me. Um, so real, real tough start to the game. Um, I spend the first half just sat in my backfield trying to keep these demon engines off me. Uh, but fortunately, the, the, the guns on the Caladiuses and on the tanks are all made just to remove that kind of stuff. Vengeance for Cadia off the guard, even the Punishers weighing in, just tearing chunks out of Maul of Fiends. So um, really, really fun game. Amazing player. Uh, what a gentleman. Um, and really cool army. Um, Hyper pressurized. Again, his army's a little bit like mine. It's all threat saturation. What do you want to kill? The Maul of Fiend or the Lord Discordant? They're all going to hurt you once they get into your line. So uh, love that game. So my list, uh, there's, a, there's a real story behind my list uh, just before I get into it. So um, I was all prepped with what I wanted to take to Birmingham, which was uh, something to really win the event. But at the same time, probably a list I was going to take to the London Grand Tournament. One aspect of it, at least, either the invitation or the main. Uh, however, we obviously had our little shock. Uh, well, not really a shock, but... Because uh, we all expected it, but the timing was a bit of a shock. So the Caladius nerf landed Friday uh, morning or afternoon, depending on what time zone you're in, really. And uh, it kind of threw my plans into disarray uh, as I knew I wanted to take something strong enough to win Birmingham, but also get a bit of uh, practice in for LGT. Um, and now I was facing into uh, changing my list entirely in order to get good playtest data um, or going ahead with a really strong list, uh, capable of winning the Battlefield Birmingham, um, but maybe not giving me much use for London. So um, I ended up taking a mix of the two, really. Um, so uh, Harry obviously ruled that they wouldn't be adopting any changes so close to the event. Um, so I ended up playing with the Caladius attachment, so three Caladius Graf tanks with the Iliastus cannons, up top, uh, led by a shield captain on a Dawn Eagle jet bike. Um, I think everyone knows this detachment by now, but I suppose I'll, I'll just give you my, my two cents on it. Uh, the, the real strength is not even the, the strength of the guns. Um, it's just how consistent it is. It does the same thing, game in, game out. The movement along with the ballistic skill is just phenomenal in the meta at the moment, and, and that's what was making them so, so strong. Uh, forget the invulnerable save and all the other bits. Uh, just uh, obviously an incredible detachment. But... The powerhouse, the powerhouse in my list, I said this in most of my reports, the things that wins me games, everyone forgets about them, everyone ignores them, is the guard battalion uh, and my tank commanders. So I've been running three for a fair while now, but two is a, is a nice sweet spot I found recently. So uh, a Punisher Gatling Cannon tank commander and the Battle Cannon tank commander with the possibility of upgrading it to have the relic uh, out of the Empress Fist um, kind of detachment. Uh, so the Relic of Sunderance, uh, it's just incredible. Super consistent again, um, and it's the real answer in my list to, to kind of hoard and um, mechanise lists. So again, loads and loads of consistency. I've been playing this for a while. I think a lot of people have now, really. Uh, so um, super cool little de- detachment, and obviously the CPs coming from the battalion. 
And then the Marines, which was a, a, a nice little plug-in. Uh, so I suppose I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more. So um, I asked beforehand, before going to the tournament, as you always should do, hopefully if you've ever got anything contentious. So um, we asked Birmingham whether they'd be allowing the Scorpius, Relic Scorpius and Kronos combo. Uh, and at the time, the FAQ hadn't been released. I know it is now, obviously, at the time of recording this. Um, but the logic uh, kind of pointed to it being available. So um, I was taking basically Sergeant Kronos in a Relic Scorpius using the Paragon of War for, for extra mortal wounds. Uh, but the other bits to that was a, a Phobos captain uh, to kind of complete and lead uh, the uh, Vanguard detachment, I believe. <laughs> you never remember what these things are. And two Invictus warsuits, the, the new kind of Primaris uh, Dreadnought type scout warsuits. And um, they were just, again, super strong, uh, backed up by a Thunderfire cannon, which um, I really, really love, but sadly... Uh, it, maybe you'll see in my, my list to come has had to be dropped. Uh, and I had loads of fun as well. So the warsuits go forward, uh, whilst the rest of the army kind of stays back and shoot, plays like a very regular gun line. Um, and it was just uh, loads and loads of fun. Uh, it applies a ton of pressure with its damage output and uh, the threat saturation is real. I mean, if you're not removing Caladiuses, then uh, they're going to kill you. But if you focus on them, they're hard to shift and then the garden marines pour damage out so nothing's easy to kill and everything hurts you back so not a lot of chaff uh high threat saturation which is kind of my favorite play style so um definitely loads of fun and uh top tip uh i would play the scorpius even without the paragon of war hyper consistent uh, and i can't wait for people to see it in action when there's big heavy terrain kind of protecting it as Malik mentioned a couple of times in his clips, he is part of the Dice Down team. You can catch them either on Facebook, on Twitter, at Dice Down TV, or via their website, dicedown.co.uk. I highly recommend you check out their recent articles on competitive play and the state of the meta. They're some of the best written stuff out there right now, and I totally read them. This isn't just Falcon talking. Well, somehow we got through all of that. Let's hit a bump. Tournament news. Hi guys, I'm Manny Chima, one of the founders of Glasshammer Gaming and the head coach for the Glasshammer List Writing and Coaching Service, and you're listening to the 40k Stat Center. From jolly old England, we take you to miserable young Australia for EastCon, a 1750-point major event that took place in glorious Melbourne, Victoria last weekend. Now, this was the event we tried to get for you last week. If it had not been for T.O. Matt, the Plague Hulk Morisali falling asleep in his rum and coke instead of sending in his audio, and Josh, the plumber Jack McMillan, sending his voice clips to the dark web instead of the Falcon. Here's what the number one player in Australia had to say about the event he's been running for a couple of years now. EastCon is one of Victoria's more long-standing competitive events. Uh, it's been running... Uh, for the last uh, nine or ten years, as long as I've been in the tournament scene for and beyond that. Um, I took over the, the reins of the event last year after the previous TO uh, was sort of getting out of 8th edition um, and a lot of people wanted the event as we have an institution to continue. Uh, this year we had, I believe it was 66 players, just shy of 70 after a few last minute dropouts as you have. Uh, it was held at the House of War in Ringwood, which is one of uh, the largest gaming stores in Australia, if not the largest gaming store in Australia. Uh, 
terrain, we, we basically, uh, our club owns about 15 tables worth of good quality 8th edition uh, terrain. Uh, and then between the terrain at the store and a number of people who helped out, including uh, the guys from the Terracon GT who travelled about six hours to be at the event, we managed to, uh, yeah, to finish all of the 34 tables that were required. Uh, the event was eventually won by uh, Rob Lane playing Necrons, however Josh McMillan on Orcs also equaled his battle points. Uh, so in terms of ITC standings, Josh uh, had more VP, so Josh took out the honours uh, for the ITC points, but Rob edged him out with one point uh, in paint uh, to take home the big win. Uh, the event sort of follows our traditional uh, paint sports battle rubric that we've used for a long time in Australia, although a lot of events are moving away from it now, sort of towards the more typical ITC uh, straight battle format. Uh, but we still submit the ITC rankings based on battle points only. Uh, in terms of event organisation, everything was, was pretty smooth. Fortunately, having the event at a large game store means the trestle tables and the tabletops are already there for you and you sort of have to come in the night before and get all the terrain set up and get the computer and the projector set up. So uh, it was yeah, it was pretty easy uh, from my end. Yeah, uh, congrats to the, the guys who took home the win and to Josh who uh, took home the number one ITC spot for the event. Now, as Matt said, East Con would have two winners, Josh Super Mario McMillan, who went 5-0 with his orcs, winning Best General, and Robert the Necron with a Plum Lane, who would go 5-0 with Necrons and taking Best Overall. Let's take a quick second to, take, uh, to check out their lists and hear what they had to say. Now, Val, do you happen to have Down Under Pairings up to take a quick gander at these beautiful, beautiful 1,750-point uh, showings? When don't I have Down Under Pairings up? I mean, come on. Who wouldn't always have Down Under Pairings loaded and ready to go on their screen? That's something I ask myself all the time. All right, let's kick things off with a little bit of orc chin music from Josh McMillan. We got a battalion detachment of Evil Sons orcs led by none other than Zad Snark Ripa, a.k.a. the only non-legendary warboss on bike. Uh, a warboss on warbike as well uh, with your power claw situation. And a weird boy are the HQs there. He's then got uh, a unit of boys. 22 of them, plus the knob, a unit of 20 boys, plus the knob, and another unit of 22 boys, plus the knob. Uh, the two 22-boy units are Slugachapa. The 20-orc-boy unit is just the Shooter. And then over in the Elite section, we've got some cheeky units here. We got a unit of Commandos with uh, two soon-to-be legendary Burnas, uh, the boss knob with the big Choppa, and then we have a unit of Eight Mega Knobs. Hey, three of them with uh, the Power Claw, four of them rocking those pricey upgraded kill saws. There's also a knob with a Wah banner. And uh, next up, another battalion detachment. This one, those crafty death skulls. Uh, you got a uh, Dread Wah uh, upgrade on this. You got a big mech with the shock attack gun. He's the warlord, and he's got the super shock, sorry, souped up shaka. And then there's a regular old shock attack gun. Uh, both of those guys have the Grot Oilers with them, just keeping them safe from them assassins. And then there's a weird boy in this one as well. And then just three units of Gretchen as the troop slots. Rounding it all out, we got our old pal, 
the crazy, the zany, always says something awkward during Christmas dinner, Mad Doc Grotznik. And that's the whole thing. You, you missed something. Maybe you should scroll down just a little bit more. What, what do you mean? He's got eight tank busters in that list, brother. What the? F- oh, yeah. Plus he's, the knob. And he's got eight tank busters plus the knob. Yeah, no, uh, that's right. I thought I nailed it, uh, but clearly uh, Pooch did you again. You didn't stick the landing. You didn't stick the landing. Pooch did again. His, it's okay, bud. Yeah. Well, anyway, 1750s, it's, uh, you know, missing a few elements, like the 3rd Battalion. But, uh, you know, what what can you do? I mean, Josh Millen's also pretty well known for playing some kind of off-the-wall stuff and doing pretty well with it. Um, so it doesn't shock me that um, he would replace a lot of the the regular go-tos with things like commandos, which we really haven't seen in like a year now. Um, Ludas, which, I mean, he did kind of replace with tank busters. The fact that he brought kill saws. Lots of cool stuff in there. I like it. Yeah. And up uh, the other undefeated player from the event, Robert Lane, he brought a Necron Sotek Battalion with Imotek the Stormlord, a Cryptek, 10 Tesla Immortals plus the Knob, another 10 Tesla Immortals plus the Knob, and another 10 Tesla Immortals plus the Knob. In his elite slot, he took a Triarch Stalker. He then had three Doomsday Arcs, and he rounded it all out with an Airwing Sotek detachment with three Doom Scythes. So kind of like your standard run-of-the-mill uh, Necron Sotek list that's been, uh, I wouldn't say dominating, but doing extremely well in the meta. Um, he did, of course, have to cut 250 points so you don't see any Destroyers or um, the Tomb Blades. But uh, when you're a little short on points, you got to make do with what you make do. And uh, this is all the hot stuff. Well, speaking of hot stuff, we got some hot stuffs coming through. Here come Robert and Josh uh, with what they had to say about the event. Hi, this is Josh McMillan from Legion. Just on a recap from the event on the weekend, EastCon down in Melbourne, Australia. I uh, went 5-0 and with Orcs. Uh, got first with ITC points, but got second overall with uh, the total of battle points, painting, and sportsmen. My list, I was running Orcs. Uh, two battalions. First battalion was Evil Sons. I had the war boss on Bark with Claw. Um, I had Zaznag and I had a Weird Boy. I had three squads of boys. Uh, two squads of 23, the Knob with Big Chopper. Uh, a squad of 21 Shooter Boys, a Knob with Big Chopper again. Then I had a squad of eight Mega Knobs. Uh, five of them had the Kill Saws. I had the Wire Banner and I had a, a squad of Commandos. Um, in my other detachment, which was Death Skulls, which was the Vigilist attachment for the Relic Shock Attack Gun, I had two Shock Attack Guns, I had another Weird Boy, uh, three squads of 10 Gretchen, uh, the eight Tank Busters, and I had the character Pain Boy, Mad Dog. The MVP unit for the event for me were the Mega Knobs. Uh, the Kill Swords were just a lot more reliable than the normal Claw, the flat two damage. Uh, you could just allocate what you needed to and, you know, the, the D3 damage is just too unpredictable. But, yeah, they were definitely the MVP unit of the event. Uh, my hardest opponent would be Joshua Brody with the Gene Sealer Cult matchup. Um, just because I know what they can do the and how unpredictable they are, being able to drop down any turn they want, three inches away, uh, fight when they die... The amount of stratagems and how powerful that list is is crazy, and I was very cautious going into it, and obviously I played it out well. I came out in front, but that was definitely the toughest matchup.
Uh, highlights for me, well, the, one of the biggest ones was the stream game. The first time I went to shoot the shock attack gun, I rolled a 12 for strength. Rolled um, a 5 and a 1 for shots. Um, but previous to that, I used uh, the Mordaka strat and the Death Skull strat to reroll all wounds against vehicles. Um, and then I went on to CP the one that I rolled for the amount of shots and got 11 shots in total. And then I hit, I hit with one, one shot. So I had one more Dakar, rolled that to nothing. Um, I used the Death Skull reroll, uh, no hit. So out of 12, 13 dice rolls, I rolled one five plus. And that's what, um, one of the handshakes was during the game. If people were getting a little bit confused, but, um, yeah, that was just a funny moment that, um, yeah, you could only smile and he just sort of shook my hand to try and make me feel a bit better after that. My list MVP was definitely the, the Tesla Immortals. They just get work done all the time. They never seem to fail me. Uh, whether it's shooting down hordes of bodies or focusing fire, using stratagems to get those plus, those exploding fours to put lots of wounds down even without any AP on some bigger targets you still get plenty of wounds through running it alongside the Triarch Stalker helps too getting the reroll ones against the target uh, while you're already hitting on twos with exploding fives or fours if you use the strat uh, and also comboing that with uh, Imitech to give two units might will be done so you can really put down a lot of hurt on things that you don't seem to think you would actually wound sometimes uh, just through weighted dice. Uh, yeah, so the tournament highlights for me at EastCon certainly had to be winning my uh, Game 3 against Lee on stream with his uh, Gene Stealer Cult. He's a tough opponent, and his army was pretty savage. Uh, I found the my, my Necrons seemed to be a pretty good matchup in that scenario, just having the, the flying screens and all the Tesla mortals to dack it down those... Uh, weak little bodies whenever I get them out of there. Uh, I made a couple of pretty big mistakes, but thankfully I was able to still capitalize and come out with a two-point win, which was nice. Yeah, I've really enjoyed playing this list. Uh, it performed pretty well for me. I love playing my Necrons, and uh, it was really nice to do well and win a big event playing them. I was pretty happy I didn't run into Knights too, because that matchup never seems to go well for me. Toughest game definitely goes to my game on stream, round three, with... Lee Abbey and his Gene Stealer Cult. Uh, a couple of deployment mistakes by me allowed my Triarch Stalker to get wrapped by his uh, Rocksaw Bomb when it first came in. Uh, and I spent the next two turns basically trying to correct from that mistake, pulling back and just trying to delete the Flamer Bombs as they came down, continuing to screen out with uh, my Doomsday Arcs as best I could. Uh, and thankfully, eventually, I managed to clear out all the Flamer Bombs, all the Acolytes. And he ended up with just some Guardsmen and a couple of squads of Acolytes with Mining Lasers. Moving from the other side of the board, trying to take out what I had left, which was mostly two squads of Immortals and uh, two Doomsday Arcs. And Mining Lasers do not like Quantum Shielding. So he struggled for about two turns, just trying to get a kill. And I started outscoring on primary every turn. And ended up with a two-point win, which uh, was hard-fought and a really good game for Lee Abbey. And there we have it. Our first 17-hour-long episode. For those fine folks that sent us audio from the Battle in the Bush major that also happened this weekend, fear not. We will be covering your event in all its glory next week. 
We were just waiting on the terribly busy event winner and a couple others to provide their beautiful voices to the song and dance that we do. There's a really good tale to be told, and we want it to have its chance. And uh, also, finally, a big shout-out to Jonathan Holm for taking first place at the MFF SummerSlam GT in Sweden. As well, uh, he brought four big old night boys with a Gryad attachment. You Swedes, you got to get that uh, Westeros 72 or whatever the next number is in that series uh, out there so we can see what you're really bringing to play. Tournament News. Hello, everyone. This is Dustin from the Stutter Scrub Podcast, and you're listening to the 40K Stat Center. Well, I don't know if we're studs or scrubs, pal, but I am wiped. What an episode. There was a lot to say and a lot to hear, and I hear you, buddy. I am dying. I Last of the gas has been removed from this tank. That is absolutely correct, although from what I understand, always a little bit of gas when Falcon's around. Um, I am thinking of maybe clicking send on this and going to bed it has been an absolute pleasure i want to personally thank everyone who participated we had some really great players they're all over the podosphere and youtube talking about their events from nova uh you can find uh you know detailed game by game analysis on just about any of the major shows uh have gotten one of these personalities to really go into the nitty-gritty so go out there and listen to them as if you haven't already because we're so effing late I got nothing more to say. Well, you do got at least one more thing to say. Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.